0: I want to begin this afternoon by acknowledging a conflict in the room. You guys know what a conflict is it's a clash of interests. When one person or group of people has a set of interests, and then there's this other person or people over here, and they have a set of interests, and those two interests don't necessarily mesh very well. That is a conflict. It can be kind of awkward to talk about these things publicly, although that's what Paul does in the letter to the Philippians. I don't know if you noticed at the very end in the fourth chapter, right up there at the beginning, he just calls out two of the ladies in the church who aren't getting along. I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. No, 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 don't worry. It's not going to get awkward. That's not the kind of conflict that I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about a conflict between two people in the room or between two groups or like, you know, Missouri versus Kansas or anything like that. Uh, what I want to call out and acknowledge is, is a little bit more of a deeper conflict that exists within each of us, a conflict that is taking place within you. There are two, two competing sets of interests that just, they just at least seem like they don't necessarily come together and they're alive in you. One of them is that you want to follow Jesus. I assume at some level that there's a desire in you to be faithful to Jesus. And I know that on the other hand, you want to be happy and you will pursue happiness. Like, I don't even think this is up for debate. Now, you might pursue happiness in a mature way. Maybe you think, no, no, I don't want to be, I'm not pursuing happiness. I want to be faithful to God. Cool. That's because you think in the end, being faithful to God is better for you. That's the point. So everybody in here, at some level, is wanting to follow Jesus and is also wanting to be happy. And I would suggest to you that that, present a con- that presents a conflict. Maybe you think, wait, why, why is that conflict? I thought you just told us this morning that, that, you know, like, following Jesus is the surest path to lasting satisfaction. Yeah, I, I do. I do believe that. But it's not necessarily a smooth process. And I don't want to sort of, sort of um, I don't want to act like it's just all simple and clean. So, so which is which is true? Is it true that Jesus wants to make your life better or is it true that Jesus wants to make your life harder? And the answer to that question is, of course, yes, both. He wants to make your life better, awesome. He wants to make your life harder, awesome. You know, there's... there's There's not a lot that you can count on in in life in general, and not a lot that you can be sure about when it comes to following Jesus. The Bible is our guide, of course, for following Jesus, and I think there's a fairly short list of guarantees that the Bible gives us if we're going to follow Jesus. I think the Bible gives us the guarantee that if we believe in him and trust in him and hand our lives to him, then we are looking forward to an eternity with God in the new creation. That's a guarantee. I think that the Bible guarantees us that as we follow Jesus, we have absolute proof of God's love for us. We don't always feel like God loves us. We don't always have the emotions that it seems like we should have if God loves us. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying like, you can look at the cross and every time you see the cross, here you have demonstrable proof that God is for you, that he's willing to make sacrifices for you and that he wants you to be in his company, in his presence to experience his blessing. So we know that we're looking forward to eternity and we have proof of God's love for us. And I think also that coming out of this, there's a sense in which that the Bible promises that as we follow Jesus, maybe not all the time, but as we follow Jesus, we'll have an increasing sense of peace and joy in our lives. That seems fairly consistent in the Bible. But the fourth and last thing on my short list of guarantees that I found in the scriptures, you can be sure of suffering. You are promised hardship, and the Bible doesn't hide this. The Bible doesn't, doesn't sort of, just sort of kind of keep this secret to itself. No, 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 like the Bible's real clear. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to get tough. Paul and Timothy wrote Philippians together. Um, I mentioned the other day, there yesterday, that Paul also wrote Timothy some letters of his own, First and 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul tells Timothy, everyone who wants to be godly in Christ is going to experience persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. He talks to his followers at the end of the gospel of John, just before Jesus says he knows he's going to die, and then he he knows he's going to raise again and go back to heaven, but he's like, they're they're confused and not sure what to expect, and he's giving them his final instructions, and he says to them, hey, just so you know, the world is going to hate you the same as it hated me. That's what you have to look forward to. This is true if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, period, and there's a sense in which it's especially true if you're going to devote your life to his work. If you're going to commit yourself to serving him, if you are considering ministry, you need to know something that I would imagine our students around here probably get tired of hearing us say, and that is that ministry is hard. You'll hear that as often as you'll hear anything here, because it's true. And you don't have to do it for very long to realize that if you just decided that you weren't going to commit yourself to serving other people in the name of Jesus, your life would immediately get easier not all the time. I don't want to make it sound like it's all bad or bleak. Ministry is fun and meaningful and rich and life-giving and full of joy. But it's also hard. And if you're going to consider devoting your life in service to Jesus, you need to understand that when he says, take up your cross, this is an image that describes a life of one who will walk with Jesus. It feels a lot of times like, well, it feels like you're just kind of dying. Philippians speaks directly into this this conflict that is taking place within our hearts between happiness and discipleship. See, because on the one hand, Philippians is, it's Paul's happy letter. You heard Logan mention it this morning. It's his joyful letter. You find words like joy and rejoice more often in Philippians than any of Paul's other letters. Fourteen times you'll find the word happiness and joy mentioned in this letter. That's more than any other letter. The second most is 13 from a letter called 2 Corinthians, which is like three times as long as Philippians. I mean, Paul is happy and he is talking about happiness. You maybe remember hearing that word, rejoice, 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 on multiple occasions in this. This letter so it's his happiest letter but on the other hand it is a clear call to selflessness it is a clear call to taking the back seat it is a clear call to not say me first but to instead say me second me last because I'm going to sacrifice my own needs for the sake of somebody else And this comes through most clearly in a passage that really is the heartbeat of Philippians. Open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look together for a bit uh, for our final session this afternoon at Philippians 2, 1 through 11. This is, as I say, the heartbeat, the core of the letter to the Philippians. This is one of the most popular passages in all the scriptures. More words have been written about this passage of scripture than any other single text in the New Testament or old. There's a lot going on in here. We're not going to try to cover all of it, but we are going to get a good sense of what it is that Paul is communicating in this text. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 2. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, if any sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Have in you the same mindset that was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he poured himself out, taking the form of a servant, becoming in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Let's see what we can learn from this. I think one of the things that I want you to notice here is that Paul is encouraging people how to live, but once more, he's not just giving you a list of rules. He's talking about a certain mindset. Because Paul recognizes and teaches in this text that our actions are rooted in our mindset. This is always true. The things that you do are determined by the attitude, the mindset of your mind and heart. Rooted, I think, is a good word for it. Let me show you a couple of pictures of roots. These are some of my favorite pictures of roots. One of them is like the largest roots I've ever seen. That's like a grown couple. Those roots are huge. Now, the shape of a tree, how high it grows and how strong it is has everything to do with the roots. And in this case, you can imagine this tree is probably doing just fine, okay? Let me give you a little bit more realistic picture. Here's one I like to look at occasionally. It's small, but nevertheless, the same holds. If the roots are strong, the tree is strong. Uh, Let me give you a different uh, metaphor. Think about it in terms of like what direction your heart is pointed. Think about your heart and your mind like a compass. And your mindset is, is like a compass. And whatever it's set to is what direction your life will go. uh, There was a famous boat crash that happened in 1914, not the Titanic. You probably heard of the Titanic. Uh, That one crashed in 1912. There was another boat crash in 1914, just a couple of years later. It was actually in the month of January. January nineteen fourteen off the coast of Virginia over on the Atlantic Ocean, frigidly cold waters in January this time of year, and there's these two boats. You can see the two boats, one of them is called the Nantucket and the other one is called the Monroe. And they were both going through, and you can see the next headline, actually, this is the old newspaper from the time. Says Forty Parish, 83 live, as Liner Monroe, ran by the Nantucket, sinks. They crashed. The Nantucket was going along, and before they realized it, it, was as soon as they realized it was too late, that out in front of them was the Monroe, and there was no way to steer out of this, the two ships crashed together, and 40 sailors lost their lives. As they were doing some discoveries and trying to figure out what happened, how did this go wrong, like what took place, the ship Monroe was actually the one that was hit. But they discovered through the testimony of the captains and various people, the captain of the Monroe said, listen, I'll admit it, the compass that I had been using was two degrees off, But here's the deal, that is well within the range of safety, usually whenever you're navigating your way through the waters. Well, not on this occasion, as he came to realize in a very fateful, tragic way. There's this famous picture from olden times of these two captains embracing in tears, big burly seamen who are crying because they know that some of their people lost their lives two degrees. His compass was offset by two degrees and yet it cost 40 people their lives. I think that this is a perfect parable for my life and yours. When our heart is offset by just a little bit and our mindset is not moving in the right direction, it will determine the course of our lives. What you even see in the world is determined by what you're trying to get from it. Like, we all look at the same thing. We look at the same people and the same places, but we don't see them in the same way. What you want from the world will actually determine what you see when you even look at it. Think about if you're going to high school. If you're going to high school just wanting to get through, then you're going to see the people and the opportunities and the assignments and the the sports seems a certain way. If you're going to high school looking to find a girl or to find a guy, or if you're going to high school looking to prove to yourself that you're someone important, or looking to find people to think that you're important, whatever it is that you're looking for is actually going to determine what you see. Same True with this event. We prayed over this event because we have this sort of two things going on in our minds here at Ozark. Like we're seeing you as possible future students and that's impacting the way in which you're engaging this event but we want to be careful that that's not the only lens through which we view this, this thing that's taking place. We see you as people who are either going to move closer to Jesus or further away from him and that changes how we approach you. This is life. Your actions are rooted in your mindset, and so Paul is calling us to a certain kind of mindset. Logan gave you the technical term, I wasn't gonna say the word, but I'll go ahead and say it since he did. Cruciformity, it's a weird word, say cruciformity. You don't have to remember the word, but it's not a bad word to think about. Form, of course, is in the middle of that word, taking the shape of something. Cruce refers to the cross. To be cruciform means to take the shape of the cross. Let me put it in normal terms. The mindset that Paul is calling for in this passage is not me, but you. That's what he's asking for. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't put yourself first. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Put other people first. And can we just acknowledge that this is the opposite of the mentality of the culture in which we live? We live in a culture that says you've got to move up the ladder. Let's call this the ladder of happiness, right? Right? And the goal is to move up the ladder of happiness. And the way in which you move up the ladder of happiness is by putting yourself first, by prioritizing your happiness and just letting go of or moving on from anything that gets in the way. This is the world we live in. So if you're moving up this ladder and you have an unwanted pregnancy, just abort it, keep moving up. You have an unwanted marriage, just divorce it, move up. You have a church that you don't like, just leave it behind and move up. And these aren't necessarily your decisions, but the decisions that we make on a daily basis, just think about it. Usually we ask the question, what's going to make me more happy? How do you pick your friends? Well, who's going to make me happier? How do you decide where to work or what job to go into? Well, which one makes me happiest? How do you decide how to spend your free time? Well, what do I enjoy doing? And the goal is to get ourselves up to the top of this ladder, and we'll put ourselves first in whatever ways we can so that we become happier than before. And Paul is calling us to the very opposite mindset. Paul is calling us to the mindset that we see in Jesus, Who, being in the form of God, I don't care how great you are, you're never going to be that. (laughs) Paul says, Jesus began at the top of the ladder. He was up there where everybody else is trying to go. And he didn't consider this something to be grasped, something to be held on to, something to be used to his own advantage. But instead, he actually moved back down the ladder, from heaven to earth, becoming a human. And when he became a human, he didn't stop there. And he kept going down, 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 till he died on the cross. Paul is calling us to come down the ladder of happiness in Philippians chapter 2. That is the call that is here on our lives. And it's actually not just what we see in Jesus. It's the theme of the whole letter. Look back at what he had said to us. He said, remember when he talks about how he's in prison? Look, I know I'm in prison, but other people are hearing about Jesus, which is fine. It's not about me, but it is about you. Look, I'd rather like die and go be with Jesus, but I know that I'm going to keep staying here in the body, even though it's harder. Because it's not about me, but it is about you. When he talked about how Timothy and Epaphroditus, these two guys who were sort of going back and forth from Philippi to Rome, he held them up as examples of people who say, it's not about me, it's about you. Epaphroditus says, it's not about me, I'll risk my life if that means that the gospel of Jesus can move forward and the people of God can be loved. This is how Paul looks at his own accomplishments. I had all these things, I was at the top of my game, but I realize now that it's not about me. But instead I'm called to put other people first. That is the mentality that we find in Philippians which is all fine and good, but what about the joy? I mean, it's not necessarily fun to put yourself last, or even to put yourself second. It's not necessarily a guarantee that if you do this, good things are gonna result. And that's where the brilliance of this letter comes in. Because here in Philippians, this call to radical selflessness and the promise of lasting happiness, they come together in this beautiful cross-shaped fashion. Let me let me put it to you like this: true or false? I, you, let's just practice. I want to hear it audible. Give me, say your first name out loud so that I know you can talk real quick. Okay, let's try that again. I do need to know that you can talk. Say your first name out loud. Very good. Now let's one more time say cruciformity. Okay, these words are a little bit easier than cruciformity. I want you to say true or false. All right, let me give you two of these. So this is college preparation, so we're going to do a little bit of testing in here, all right? Sometimes in college, you get true or false questions on the tests and the quizzes. Nobody enjoys them, but they're good. True or false? Jesus willingly died for those who caused his death. True. Okay, good. True or false? Jesus is the happiest person who ever lived. True. True. I know it doesn't seem like that could be the case, but it is, and that's the surprise of the cross. I think if Jesus heard you say that there was anybody who was happier than him, he would laugh at you. (laughs) I'm familiar with suffering, sure, he'd say, but you don't understand the joy that characterizes my inner life. You will one day, but you don't yet. He is the happiest person who ever lived, even though he gave his life for those who were trying to put him to death. And here's the secret of Philippians Unfolded. Loving like Jesus is the most reliable path to happiness. The formula is not just about me and you. It's not me, but you, because God. Look at the story of Jesus. He, he, he had equality with God, didn't use it to his own advantage, came all the way down, but that's not where the story ends. This story ends with, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. And that is the consistent throughout, throughout this letter. The reason why you can give your life away is because God promises that he will give you the very best life you could possibly ask for. Not me, but you, because God. Let me put this in simpler terms. I learned this in children's church. I don't know about you. I remember my children's church teacher teaching me that the path to joy, J-O-Y, is to put Jesus first, others second, and yourself third. That is the message of Philippians. And the secret of the secret in this letter Is that this isn't something foreign to who you are? This is actually in keeping with what it means to be a human being made in God's image. This is how you are made to thrive. This is working with the grain of human nature. You were created in the image of a God who pursues joy by loving sacrificially, it's in your DNA. It's like, have you, ever, um, have you ever held a beach ball and you've tried to like hold it under the water? You ever done this before? I know it's like weird to think about being in a pool right now because it's January, but have you ever held a beach ball under the water and you know how it just like shakes, it won't stay still, but then you let it out under the water and it just rests on top? When you put yourself first, you're like a beach ball trying to hold itself under the water. And the reason why you don't experience any inner peace and rest is because that's not how you were made to live. But if you just let go and stop focusing so much on pursuing your own personal gain and love the people around you, then you would find that you have more peace and more joy. I see this all the time. I see it in my own life, but I also see it in my children's life. We have two kiddos. They're here today. They're the sweetest, most adorable, lovely children in the entire world. No offense to you and yours. I just, we, we absolutely adore our kids. And our kids, they love each other. Man, my daughter and my son, they absolutely adore each other, but they fight a lot. Like you guys know how this is a little bit. But one time, it's not one time. It's interesting to watch like, to watch them realize that they actually both enjoy life more when they're demonstrating love to one another. Just last week, I remember this, uh, this time, they were kind of going back and forth about something. And uh, my son was kind of picking at his sister because he sometimes does that. And she snaps at him and she sometimes does that. But then he decided to sort of switch it around. And he, he did something very, very sweet for her. I'll leave that between all of us. He did something very sweet for her in the house. And after he did, I remember he walked back in the living room and he said, I mean, I didn't even ask for this at all. He just walked in after and He said, you know, today is a great day. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it is, man. It's amazing how that, that feeling that, man, it's just I'm just happy. happy. I don't know why. And I'm thinking, I know why, because you just served your sister. And what's true of a child is true of you. It may not be that immediate, but if you want to find yourself more often saying, today is a great day, then take the focus on yourself. yourself. Look first to Jesus and then ask how you can serve other people. I mean, that's what this place is about. Because this is a Bible school, and therefore a Jesus school, it is therefore a service school. If you come to Ozark, we can't make you do anything. We wouldn't try. If you come to Ozark, you will, though, be given every opportunity to find joy in sacrificial service. I told you about our first core value, teaching the word of Christ and the spirit of Christ. Well, the second one is a motto that comes from Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Not to be served, but to serve. But this is something that is, this is an invitation that is granted to you regardless of whether you go to college or where you go to college to find joy in serving other people. So let me end our time being as practical as I can. I want to give you two things to do as we go from this place. Number one, if you want to be a person who pursues joy, put yourself second. You will be given opportunities every day to do this if you just open up your eyes and see them. Put yourself second. The easiest way to think about this is to start thinking about the relationships in your life. Uh, maybe you have some siblings. In your relationships with your siblings, put yourself second. When you go back home today, do something for your sibling, for your brother or your sister. They may look at you like you're crazy. Just smile and say, today is a great day. <laughs> put yourself second in your relationship with your parents. Some of you have wonderful parents. Some of you have not wonderful parents. Some of you have wonderful parents, but you don't know it. Either way, find a way today to put yourself second. Think about when you go back to school on Tuesday, how are you gonna serve the people who are in your second period class? The people who sit in desks around you. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't. Maybe you like them, maybe you don't. That is irrelevant to what it is that we're talking about. The question for you is to walk in that class not thinking about how much you do or don't like them, but to walk in that class thinking about what do they need and how can I be a part of helping them find that? How can I serve them? How about your neighbors? Maybe it's snowing a lot where you live. Have you thought about the folks on your street who maybe don't have the physical ability to shovel their sidewalk or their driveway? How about you go offer to do this? And not because you're asking them to give you money so that you can go on some trip, but just because you want to demonstrate the love of God to them. Find a way to put yourself second. And the second and last thing I want to say is you got to meditate on Jesus. Jesus. If you just try to make this something that you do, then it's not going to work because you have to work on your body. You have to retrain your body by doing good things for people, but you have to retrain your mind by meditating on the story of Jesus. Paul didn't just say, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but instead be humble and serve each other. He didn't stop there. It's very important to see what he did next, having you the same mindset that was also in Christ Jesus, and then he told the story of Jesus. And if you find that it doesn't at all come natural to you to serve the people around you, maybe you've got your eyes on the wrong prize. Maybe you're not looking closely enough at Jesus. (laughs) This is so simple. This, I guarantee you, is not the first time somebody's told you to think about Jesus and to serve the people around you, but that's, I think, precisely part of the point and the genius of this text. Uh, Some of you may have heard the name Vince Lombardi. He is a legendary football coach, but he wasn't always legendary. In 1961, his team, the Green Bay Packers, uh, reported to training camp. Uh, just a few months before this, they had lost the world championship. It wasn't called the Super Bowl yet. They'd lost the world championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. They were winning in the fourth quarter, but the Eagles came back and defeated them. And so these grown men come into this locker room, and they are hungry, and they are driven, and they are ready to win, and they are excited because they know that they're the best team in the league. They know that they should be able to do this. They know that they're a cut above everybody else, and they're ready to move forward. And they're waiting, and they're in the locker room, and they're pumped up. And then Coach Vince Lombardi walks into the room. And they don't know what's gonna come out of his mouth, but they're pretty surprised by what he says because he walks in there and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. The goal of this game is that we carry this football or throw this football into the end zone more often than our opponents. And he proceeded to walk them through the very basics of the game that they had been studying their entire lives. And they spent the first two weeks of training camp working on all of the fundamentals of the game, working on footwork, working on how to throw a football, working on how to catch a football, working on how to take take the handoff, working on blocking and tackling, working through every single play. Again, the plays that they had memorized from the years before, he taught them as if they'd never heard them before. At one point in the process, one of the players was being a little sarcastic, and he said, hey, coach, you're moving a little faster for us. And the coach just laughed and he just kept on going. And six months later, they walked away from the final game of the season, world champions, having defeated the New York Giants 37 to nothing. Philippians chapter two is Paul's, this is a football speech. He walks in here to tell you something that you've heard before. Therefore, if you have any encouragement in Christ, If any comfort from love, if any sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of the others. Have in you the same mindset that was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, Rather, he poured himself out, taking the form of a servant, becoming in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.